716, sing to me of heaven as soon as somebody clicks. There we go. Sing to me of Father, it is certainly a privilege to be here, to be able to fellowship with both you and our brothers and sisters at the same time. What a privilege, Father, what a joy. Lord, we pray that you will use this time to communicate your will to us through the speaker and through the songs of encouragement and through all the prayers. Lord, we need you every hour. We need your guidance. We need your direction from your word. We need a nudge from one another. We need each other's encouragement. Father, we pray that, that these things will happen here tonight. Lord, we pray for the ones who are suffering illnesses. We continue to pray for Leah and for her recovery. We pray for Betty and her recovery. Lord, we pray that, that your healing will be upon all of these, that they may be returned to full service with us and for you as soon as possible. Lord, we pray for others who are suffering the loss of loved ones and, and still in, in times of grieving and difficult times of of recovering and moving forward from those losses. Lord, we pray that you will be with those of us who, who have the opportunity to help them and encourage them to do so, to look for ways to help. Lord, we pray that you will be with 
Matt this evening as he d delivers the sermon that he's prepared. We know that through your spirit, you have worked with him to give each one of us the message that we need. Lord, help us to be diligent hearers. Help us to make ourselves vulnerable, to open our hearts and be willing to to allow ourselves to be challenged by maybe something that we haven't heard or recognized before or an area that we need to grow in, something that we've never never considered or something that we've resisted in the past that we need to we need to concede to your will. Lord, we pray that you be with, with all of us as we continue this worship. Remember your son Jesus and his sacrifice for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. For those needing to partake of the Lord's Supper, we're going to sing 324. We'll sing the first and the fourth verse. children of, of, the, of Egypt, the people of, of Egypt, and the, and the people of Israel were spared. But the first nine, we, we know what they were, you know, but the last one was the main one. The, and the, the children of Israel were given instructions on what to do, what, what, to, to, kill the, to, to kill a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, eat the, eat the lamb, partake of the Passover supper, and be ready to go and and then that night when it, when it happened it said that all of the egyptians had at least one person missing in their family had passed away but but none of the israelites had so imagine there was some some people say 600,000 or 800,000 however many there was a lot of israelites 
they were so happy and they were so anxious to follow the instructions. This is what we know we need to do. This is what Moses told us to do, and 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 they did it because none of them, none of them were, were killed, and they took the, they, they took the Passover feast, and t today, our Passover, equivalent is, is the the Lord's Supper, and and Jesus died for us. He's, he shed his blood that, that we might be sent. We didn't have to have a lamb. He, he took the place of that. And just imagine how the, the enthusiasm they had to take the, the, the Passover. We should have the same enthusiasm here that, because it, it means so much more. It's so, so much better, the, the promise that we have, more so than just leaving, leaving Egypt and becoming free, free people. So, so as we partake of the Lord's Supper, let's let's think about that. Let's let's uh, uh, re reflect back on the, on the suffering that Christ did for us, and and the blood that was shed. Shall we pray? Our God and our Father, we're thankful for this Lord's Day. We're thankful for this Lord's Supper that we have, that we can that that we can look back at Jesus and we can remember His love. We can remember all the planning that was made, so that so that when he went to the cross, that that we could that we could see that that it was for us. All of the prophecies were fulfilled on that day, and and we know that it's because of the love that you have for us, and we're we're thankful for Jesus that he was willing to come and 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 be the perfect example for us and the perfect sacrifice for us. As we partake of this bread, we pray that we'll remember his body that, that, that was hung upon a cross. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Continuing in thanks, Father, we're thankful for the blood that was shed. We, we know that, that without the shedding of blood that there's no forgiveness of sins. We know, Father, that, that there's, there's power in the blood that, that it's able to cleanse us and, and continue to, to, to keep us clean in, in your sight. As we partake of this fruit of the vine that represents that blood, we pray that we can do so in a manner pleasing and acceptable unto you. In Jesus' name, once again, amen.
Heavenly Father, we're thankful for everything that you do for us in this life. We're thankful for all the preparations that, that you make that that with this planet, that it continues to, to replenish and it continues to, to to have things that we need here. We, we're thankful for, for our share. We're thankful for our reasonable share of, of wealth that we have and we're thankful for this time that we have that we can return part of that, that the church here might continue to grow and continue to prosper in this town. In Christ's name we pray. Before Mike, Mike, Matt brings us the lesson, let us stand and sing 859. So we're running through the prophets and we have stopped for one lesson in Hosea. And the reason why I want to say that tonight is because there is a lot of um, prophecy in Hosea that deals with what they are dealing with at the time of Israel and Judah. But there are also some messianic prophecies sprinkled in there as well. And so what we are going to do is when we get towards the end of this series, we're going to really focus on the Messianic prophecies and the prophecies of, of um, really all the prophecies of Jesus, not just his birth, but also, I, I believe at least, there's some Old Testament prophecies that are about his second coming. And we're going to bring all that together at once. Um, and that's sort of what we're building to. So tonight we're really going to focus on Hosea, the prophet. Hosea. Not the entire book of Hosea, but the prophet Hosea. Now, have you ever in your life had or felt like you had God ask you to do something that was next to impossible? Really hard? Or, or maybe even something that you were pretty sure was doomed to fail even though you really felt called by God to do it? That's Hosea. 
It's important to know the time frame of Hosea, which he lays out in the first verse where he lets you know that you got Judah and you still have Israel. So Assyria has not come down and destroyed. Neither has Babylon come down and destroyed. Assyria has not been um, destroyed Israel and, and Babylon has not destroyed Judah yet. But it is coming to a head. Israel is in the race to be worst first. Okay, but Judah's not far behind. And that's kind of the important part to remember in all of this. Um, so the language, yet again, it's tough. The people are in a tough place. If I'm being honest with you, I think that this is the language of God to, in, in the frustration that you see roll out from God to mankind as we constantly are tossed and turned by the waves of life based on our, our desire to be with Him and our desire to feed our own flesh. Um, and I think that's what you're going to see Tonight. So Hosea is asked to do something that I think would be very difficult. Could you imagine if God called you to be a prophet and then what he told you to do is the first thing he wanted you to do was go and find a prostitute and marry that prostitute. Her name's Gomer. I think that would be pretty difficult to do. You're a man of God. You're righteous. Hey, go pick out a prostitute. Marry her. It's almost a little uncomfortable in the time that we live in now to even talk about this subject matter, but it is the reality of what God asked Hosea to do. Gomer bears Hosea three children. And every single name of the children has meanings. This one's the one that's a little bit harder to decipher, although I think this is the one that has the most meaning of them all. The other two are very plain. You're not going to wonder what they mean. But you're going to just imagine, imagine these names as they come out and imagine having a kid that you had to scream this at every time you needed to get their attention or, or whatever. Um, but the first one is Jezreel. Now, do you remember anything specific about Jezreel? Do you remember any significant things that happened in Jezreel? How about Ahab? Remember Ahab wanted the vineyard? Ahab wanted the vineyard and he couldn't get the vineyard because um, old Naboth, he didn't want to sell the vineyard. So Jezebel, Ahab's wife, comes up with the plot and and, and they're going to set him up for failure and they're going to put it to bring him into court and they're going to bring these false accusations against him. And then Ahab hears of Naboth's death and goes and buys that vineyard. Was God happy with that? You remember that part? Was God like, man, that's a really shrewd way to get something done, Ahab? Good Good thinking, Jezebel. Was God happy with that? Not at all. Not at all. Well, they went and they took the possessions, whether they're theirs or not, rightfully or not, by corrupt means or not. They received that vineyard that was in Jezreel. That's not it, but we're going to wait and hold you, hold up for a minute, because I want you to see because I believe that name of all things kind of really shows the way that Hosea has structured everything in his prophecies in his book. If you, if you um, take the time to read all 14 chapters. 
The second one's name is No Mercy. Imagine what that means. Well, in case you were wondering, God says, call her no mercy. This is the daughter, for I will have no more, no, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. Only for a short amount of time, if you're looking at the near prophecy, if you're looking at the far prophecy, Jesus comes from David, from the house of Judah. And I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen because he saved them through salvation through Jesus Christ. But what were they expecting? Just like we discussed this morning, even at the ascension of Jesus, what were they expecting? They were expecting Israel to take this prominent, new, dominant place in the world. That's what they were expecting. That's not what happened. <clears throat> so no mercy. So we got Jezreel, we've got no mercy. And last but not least, we have the, ne the next name, not my people. Not my people, put that down. No mercy, get over here. Imagine saying that every single day. Imagine that reminder every single day in your house. These are your kids' names. Not my people is to represent the fact that Israel was not God's people anymore. The covenant that God made with Abraham had been broken. And God is telling them, there is no coming back. Not my people, for you are not my people. And I am not your God. Sounds like the great start to a happy family, right? No? Nobody's convinced that this is a happy family? Well, I want you to look at verse 10. So I want you to see that these are the names all the way. We're rolling through the scriptures. We didn't really skip any, although I added a couple of in 1 Kings, but we didn't really skip any. And then you get to verse 10. And this is, this is kind of where I think that name Jezreel, see it at the bottom? This is where it kind of shows you the intent of God right from the beginning. First child, first name. You've got the terrible um, corruption that you see, the abuse of power, if you will, that you see that is coming from this place in Jezreel through Ahab and Jezebel. And then he says this, verse 10, Yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea. Does that sound like doom and gloom to you? Which cannot be measured or numbered. Doesn't that sound a lot like, um, I don't know, the original promise to Abraham, the original covenant that God had with Abraham? And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Now, what does that sound like? If that doesn't sound like New Testament, I don't know what does. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So, remember this? When Gideon defeated the Midianites, Midianites and the Amalekites, and all the people of the east, that was also in the valley of Jezreel. So what do you see? One, you see a, a, a people, God's people, a king, 
of God's people, taking advantage of his power, using his corruption to gain and, and steal even, and even potentially, well, we know Ahab and, and Jezebel were completely corrupt. And in that same place, you see God's people taking advantage of, and therefore, actually what follows is curses. And then on the other side, you have Gideon and you see God do an amazing work. You see God do this amazing thing where there's this insurmountable army. There's no way they can come up against them. And they don't even have to fight. They destroy themselves. God whips them into a frenzy. God whips them into confusion. And that's what you see. It's really the simple the, 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 the simple parallel of the two choices. Are you going to serve God? Or are you going to serve yourself? If you serve God, here's the results. God will fight for you. God will fight in front of you. God will protect you. Doesn't matter what is against you. But you also see when you take advantage of that. What God's given you and you use that power against people and you, and you use it in corrupt ways. And what do you get? Same valley, same place, different results. Now, as you can see, Hosea has a great marriage. His wife, Gomer, has given him three beautiful children with three beautiful names. And they went riding off into the sunset happily ever after. That's not what happened either, is it? Hosea 2, verse 2. Hosea is talking to his children. He's also talking to Israel, obviously, through all of this. Even with the children's names, right? And he said, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I'm not her husband. And there's many biblical scholars who believe that at this time, Gomer has left, and they actually have a divorce. They've actually got a certificate of divorce because Gomer is now living with another man, and he's no longer with Hosea. Now, Hosea is supposed to be God. Gomer is supposed to be God's people. And the things that she does, the things that she gets caught up in, well, that's just when God's people get caught up in the ways of the world. In fact, this right here is exactly what it describes that. I think that's exactly what it's describing in this moment. It says in verse 16, and in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. You see that? He's been replaced by Baal. He's been replaced during this time from his people. They're not worshiping him anymore. He's not the father. He's not the husband of the people anymore. They're not in a marriage anymore. He has been replaced by Baal. Same with Gomer. Same with Hosea. He, Gomer has, has replaced Hosea with another man. 
It says, For I will remove the names of Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by my name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. When is that? When they get rid of the bales. When they get rid of the false gods. And listen, Paul makes this very clear. Is there anything to a false god? Is there anything to a Baal? If there's anything to a Baal or a false god or an idol or any of these ancient religions that you can go and you can study and you can learn all about. And, and, and yeah, they've got roots in culture, but what are they really? There is no other god. There is no power behind it. God through the prophets mocks these idols in the Old Testament. Paul in the New Testament says if there's any power associated with them, with them at all, it's power that comes from what? Demons. So what if they really replace God with? If they replace him with Baal, what if they really replace him with? They replace him with a demon. They replace him with a spirit of evil. They replace him with the corruption of the way of the world. See, one of the things that's very clear in Scripture is God, there is only one way. We've, we discussed this a little bit this morning. There is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. That's very clear. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you need that recap, go back and look at the discussion we've been having through Romans, because we discovered it, I mean, discussed it in many times. But Satan doesn't have to make you worship him to lead you astray. Satan just has to get you to stop relying on God and start relying on yourself. Satan just has to get you to stop feeding your spirit and begin to feed your flesh. Satan just has to get you to replace God and where he belongs in your life with, if nothing else, yourself. Romans 1 That's exactly what Paul says they did. They didn't want to worship God. They didn't want to follow God. So they worshiped the creation rather than the creator. They replaced God with the creation, even though they knew the creation was not the creator. Why? Because ultimately they wanted to feed their own flesh. They wanted to be their own gods. They wanted to govern themselves. They wanted to make up their own rules that made sense to them because sometimes, you know, those rules God makes, they, they don't always make sense. People struggle with them. We've talked about this in depth. There is a reality to our relationship that causes, that, 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 God is asking us to surrender. That's why the Bible's tough. That's why nobody can pick up the Bible, read it from, from the first page to the last, and say right away, I agree with everything. All this makes perfect sense. No, the world has already corrupted you. So everybody gets to those places in Scripture that are difficult. Everybody gets to those places that are hard to understand God. We live in a world of sin. We've been corrupted by sin since we were young. Sometimes we're more comfortable with sin than we are with righteousness. We're certainly a lot more comfortable with grace than we are with discipline, with 
wrath with consequence. So you have to understand that this part right here, this part to me is the, this is the overarching theme of Hosea. This is it. If you wanted to combine it all into just a couple of scriptures, this is it for me. Who's on your throne? Who's in charge? Who's the one guiding you and leading you in your life? Who are you submitting to? Or are you submitting to no one? So he says, we'll start right there at the, the yellow words, I will make you lie down in safety. And then he says this, I will betroth you to me forever. We will be in a marriage covenant forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Yet again, if you're not seeing new covenant all over that. Then Hosea 3 comes along. And this is that moment where we come to the place where we do realize Gomer has left. You know what? Well, I'll just read it. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man. She's left and she's left for a man that loves her. But she's still an adulteress. because She's not with her husband, Hosea. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a, le and a lethage of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. I will be faithful to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God. See, he's, he's, remember how this started out. This started out with this idea that, look, there is, there's no coming back, Israel. You're not my people. There's not going to be any mercy. There's no coming back. Okay? It's starting to, um, it, it, it should start be, uh, um, it should start to also resemble what we just went through with Malachi. Some of that strong language is represented in Malachi as well. He doesn't say, hey, have one of those moments in your life where you've recognized your sin and you have that hard talk with God and the next day everything's going to be okay. That's not where they're at. They're at a place where they've left God. They're at a place where they've married Baal. They're at a place where they've dethroned God and they've put Baal on the throne. They're at a place where they're more in love with themselves and how they want to do things than the way God has asked them to do things. Everything that God told them not to do, they're at a place where they're doing. And everything God told them, hey, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. It's happened. 
All the despicable things, and I bring this up all the time during this time period, but it's so important because I feel like so many people, we live in, in such a, in so many ways, especially in the culture of the church, we live in a, a loving, gracious, forgiving culture, and that's a beautiful thing. But when we get to those places where God is difficult, where his wrath actually gets poured out, and he says things like, hey, go in there and destroy everything, not just every person, but even all the livestock, we have a really hard time wrapping our head around that. Wait, God is love. God is forgiving. God is merciful. God is gracious. How could God ever be that? Because we forget, or we have not been taught, or we have not been reminded often of the atrocities that come with these forms of worship. And Israel's doing them all now. Everything that God sent the people of God to destroy, Israel has become. So God says, it's not just going to happen because you cry out to me once. Nope. There's going to be a time where you are trying to return to me, where you have cast off all those false idols, where you have cast off all the lifestyle that this world has taught you and you are seeking me out before I will return. That's what he just said. Verse five, afterwards the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and they shall come in fear of the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. You see, it starts out with doom and gloom. But I found almost every tough prophecy I've had to read preparing for this series, I found that almost every single one, if not every single one, always has hope. Always has return. Always has opportunity to change. But the destruction they will face, it's coming. The destruction of Israel and, Bab and uh, Judah, it's coming. Hosea 4, I'm just going to throw a couple more out there real quick and then I'll be done, okay? Just a couple, I'm just nitpicking here. I'm just picking what I liked that I think will show you a little bit more of this. Because like I said, there's like 10 chapters of this. And a lot of it has to do with other topics. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night. That sounds a whole lot like Malachi. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Yet again... Seems very difficult, but he's saying this is the reality. Generation after generation starts in Judges. You see it plain as day in Judges. And you see it with the change of every king in Israel and every king in Judah. The generation is just getting worse. The generations are just forgetting about God even more. This is what you see over and over in God's people through the history of the Old Testament. 
He says this again, verse 6 of, of Hosea 5, With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find Him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with their Lord, for they have borne alien children. Now, I want to point out that there's two things going on there, and that goes right with our theme from VBS, so I wanted to expound on this for a second. But there is two things going on there. The first thing is, he told Israel, he told the people of God, when they went in to Canaan, that they were not supposed to intermarry with those people because those people would bring their false gods in, and then the false religions would come in, and before long, they would become them. That's where we're at. But they're also alien in the fact that the children are not people of God. They're not seeking God. Generation after generation after generation is born before Israel and Judah actually reach the place of destruction. Of faithless children who are alien to God. They don't even know Him. He's foreign. And they're foreign to Him. I also wanted to include this because I, 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 we'll go into this in more detail at a different time. But this is that famous passage where you see um, where Jesus had to flee because of Herod to Egypt. But I also want you to see what it's talking about here. Because it's not just about Jesus. Even though a lot of times that's what we think of it as. But Israel is going to get destroyed by Assyria. And they know it. They know they're in trouble. And they come up with a plan. And you know what that plan is? Some are going to flee and escape to Egypt. Some are going to go get Egypt's help. Egypt didn't come to save them. The ones who fleed never got there. So he's talking about a near prophecy as well. But I want to read this to you because, I, I, again, I think this summarizes everything Hosea is trying to say. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Out of Egypt, I called Israel. In an extremely powerful way, I called Israel. Brent was just talking about that powerful way when, with the Lord's Supper and comparing it to the Passover and the ten plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea. And you could go on and on because we all know that very well. We know that part of the Bible so well. I called you out of Egypt. The rest of the world discussed the way you left Egypt. When you showed up to Canaan, they were still trembling for the way that God had protected you all the way to the promised land. You found out from Rahab. The more they were called, the more they went away. That first generation never even made it to the promised land. The generation that was called to do it never accomplished it. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. When did this start? How quickly did it come? How about Mount Sinai? What do you think the golden calf was? What was Baal often depicted as? You 
Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who, who's e who eases the yoke of their jaws. I made life easier for them. And I bent down to them and I fed them. I didn't treat them like work animals. I loved them like pets. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king. Because they have refused to return to me. You see, that's the declaration. God begging his people to return, to come home, to change their ways from their selfish, worldly ways to ways of righteousness and godliness. Just return to me. But they refused. And then he says this, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Look at this. I know we've been pounding the scripture tonight, but look at this. Remember how we started. Remember where we were at the beginning. My heart recoils within me. You ever had one of them times where you had to make a decision and it just, oh, it even made you almost feel sick? You didn't know whether you were making the right decision or not, or you felt like no matter what, you were going to lose-lose, like you were going to disappoint somebody no matter what, but you had to make the decision? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. You ever get in a fight with your spouse? Right in the middle of the fight, are you feeling all compassionate and warm and tender? No, but it doesn't take very long usually for you to come to your senses and go and make things right, right? You know what that feels like? Like, why am I going to be mad? I love her. Why am I really going to be mad? I love him. I don't want to live with anybody else because I love him. I love her. So I might as well go and make things right. That's what God is talking about. He says, I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man. The Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. You know what he's saying right there? Any man in this type of relationship would not still have this love for his bride. But he's not a man. He's God. I'm going to skip that one. Because I think it says enough. These are my take homes. I, I, I hope you see this through the scripture tonight. God is faithful to us even in our unfaithfulness. Even in our unfaithfulness, God is faithful to us. 
even in our times where we are going our own way, seeking the way of the world, um, gratifying the desires of the flesh, even in our times where we are going knowingly sinning, God is faithful to us even in our unfaithfulness. His steadfast love waits for us to return to him. Don't ever forget, you are the bride of Christ. You are exactly what he was talking about. All through Hosea. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget the way God loves you. Because I'm going to tell you, when you get stuck, when you get stuck in sin, when you get stuck in trial, when you get stuck in hard times like Paul went through over and over again in his life, Satan is right there waiting to tell you all the reasons why you're stuck. All the reasons why God doesn't love you anymore. All the reasons why God just, he, well, how could he forgive you? Do you know who you are? Yeah, you know who you are. You're the bride of Christ. And God is not a man. And even though we're unfaithful, he is faithful to us beyond what any normal person would ever be to you. Number two, don't fall in love with the world, even if it falls in love with you back. Because some of you, some of you might take that ticket. You know, if I could become a millionaire tomorrow, would I give away everything? Would I trade it all in? You know, that's what the world is tempting our kids with all day long. Go look at the TikTok videos and everything of all these kids telling these, our kids how to, you could easily become rich. You just live life this way. It's the way of the world. Don't fall in love with the way of the world even if the world falls in love with you back. You remember that man that loved Gomer? He's still willing to sell her, wasn't he? It just might sell you out in the, in, if the price is right. Fall in love with Christ who paid for your freedom from the world with his own blood. And last but not least, even when it feels like all is lost. Trust me, when they were listening to Hosea, they had to feel like all was lost. Their doom was coming. The nation of Israel and Judah, really, are on their way to destruction. Even when it feels like all is lost, you've hit rock bottom, things can't get any worse. In Christ, we always have hope. You've never went so far away from God that God won't take you back. You've never went to that point. You, there is no line where all of a sudden, well, I've done this. God can't love me no more. Go look through all the scriptures of all the different people in the Bible and find me one perfect one besides Jesus. Find me one that didn't have some sort of serious flaw in their character or some sort of terrible thing that they did in their past. God loves them all. Not only does God love them all, God used them in powerful ways. Where are you at? Are you living a life of righteousness? Are you seeking godliness? Are you stuck in temptation? Are you in a struggle? A trial? Either way, in either place, are you looking to God to be your king? Or are you following the ways of the world? We can dig through prophet after prophet after prophet. They're all going to say this basic same thing. Are you being faithful to the Lord? 
Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It's His blood that washes away our sin. It's Him who comes to save Israel, who, who changes us from a people of God to children of God, God's family. Have you accepted Him as your Lord and Savior? Have you been washed in His blood through baptism? Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Have you been added to the kingdom of God? For those of us who have, where are we at? In good and bad, is our hope shaken? Are we looking for the ways of the world? Or are we looking for the ways of God? Where are you at tonight? If you have a need to respond to the invitation, you come. Let's together we stand and sing. message for us to always remember. I think we started out our days with what God said in the Old Testament, that I'm providing a way, and uh, I want you back as the theme of the New Testament. If we all address all our relationships with those kind of things, knowing where we needed to be, we would never have problems. So anyways, keep faithful on that. Uh, I'll try to keep announcements short, because I know we got something going on in the back. Something. Something. Okay. So anyways, uh, reminder of what's going on this week. Tomorrow is food pantry from 1 to 3. It really is more than that. It starts, I don't know, O'Dark 30 and lasts till sundown down or something. But I give away food tomorrow if you want to be part of that. Uh, figure it out. We'll get stuff going on. Uh, on Wednesday night, not the standard Bible class, it's tacos at 6, singing at 7. Tacos at 6, singing at 7. Say it with me. Tacos at 6, singing at 7. Come join us for tacos at 6. And then the seniors adults on Thursday are going to the Golden Corral. They already not have a no chocolate fountain. That's kind of disappointing, really. But anyways, they're going to have a good time regardless. So senior adults are going to that on Thursday. Uh, we've got a school supply giveaway. We're collecting school supplies. There's a whole, punch, whole bunch of them right there in the foyer. We give those, give those away July 31st. Um, prayers. Leah Robinson is doing better. She's into progressive care, no longer in ICU. She is uh, doing occupational therapy, physical therapy. She's doing dialysis. 
prayers are working, keep those up. Keep prayers up for Leah. Keep them up for Michael. Keep them up for Linda. Uh, it makes a big difference. Uh, Betty had shoulder surgery this week, and she's at home, and she's doing okay. Uh, if you want to help with food, see Sandy Tagto. And Jamie has a friend, John Parker Gammon. Uh, he's her age, 19 years old. Uh, he had a second hip replacement this week, so he bounces back really quick. But anyway, she asked for prayers for him. Uh, one other announcement I'm going to ask real quick. Lois Cox. Lois Cox is currently in a nursing home, and she is moving to an assisted living. In the meantime, um, we're putting a lot of her stuff in storage. Um, however, one thing we can't put in storage is her cat. Okay? We signed an agreement so we would not put the cat in storage. So, you know, legally bound not to do that. I have met Rue the cat. Rue the cat is a pretty cat. It's, she's white, uh, like a saddleback tortoise shell. I hear she's directly descended from the uh, ancient Egyptians. So she's a royalty too. So she's looking for a place to stay for a couple months. Um, I, I've told Camille we can't take any more pets, so we can't take her. She, Camille loves cats, we can't take her. So somebody would take Rue in, um, please see us. We'd like to have to move next, she's gotta move in the next couple days. So uh, if you got space in your house for a lovely cat, please consider that. If we need to pay a bounty, uh, <laughs> we can pay, I guess bounty's not the word. What is the right word? Uh, what do you do for hostages, let them free? This is what we could do for that too. But we need somebody to take care of Rue the cat. Um, next day or two so please see us if you're thinking i'll do it if nobody else does it we're past that okay we're past that we've talked to everybody brian and i set up a lemonade stand on highway 50 to see if someone would take rue the cat um this is really it's for a couple months where rose where um, lois is trying to transition to she'll take the cat back so um for a couple months it's a nice cat please 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 consider taking rue the cat in with you so the next thing we're doing, we're going to the back for the graduation celebration. And it's gonna be full of all kinds of stuff, cake, ice cream, fingers and foods. So we're gonna celebrate uh, Timmy and Mark and the graduation from high school. Um, reminder, tuna, tuna helper, bring those in for our food pantry for this month, coming month. We're passing those right each week. Uh, Recipes on the back of the tuna tetrazzini. I dare you to eat anything called tetrazzini tonight. If you want some inkjet cartridges for a brother printer, we have some of these to give away. LC203XL. Um, see me. We got some. We got some um, brother inkjet printers. So that's about it. So thank you for being here tonight. Um, stay faithful. Remember, God wants us all back. That's really the big message there. Regardless, He wants us back. So thank you. Let us stand as we sing the first verse of the last song.
pray with me, please? Holy Father in heaven, it's always such a privilege to be here to learn and grow with one another, for one another. Father, we thank you for your amazing faithfulness. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus. He became the author of our faith, hanging on a cross and having complete faith in you that you would raise him from the dead. And now we know, Father, that since you raised him from the dead, that in the last day you will also raise us. That's the faith that we have, and we're so thankful that you've given it to us. We thank you for your love and for your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>